Hi there. You're listening to Happy Hostess Podcast with Christy Lalonde. I'll be sharing episodes each week to help you entertain and welcome guests into your home without all the stress. There will be guest interviews with party planning and hospitality experts that share their secrets to becoming a confident hostess. So get comfortable as we find the joy in celebrating life's big and small moments. Hello, welcome to the very first episode of the Happy Hostess Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have Jerry Lynn Clifford of the Hill Country Bon Vivant joining me to help celebrate this very special episode. I had the pleasure of meeting Jerry Lynn this past August, and I couldn't think of a better person to talk with than her to talk turkey. Thank you so much, Jerry Lynn, for being here and to help kicking off this Thanksgiving series. Thank you for having me, Christy. I'm so happy to be chatting with you. Well, Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you arrived here to owning the Hill Country Bon Vivant. Well, it's a kind of a long story, but I'll I'll make it brief. <laughs> I am um, originally from South Dakota and uh, lived in New England, moved to New England when I was in high school and continued to go to college there and meet my former husband and have my children and raise them and meet my current husband and all of that stuff. And then we relocated to Fredericksburg, Texas, which is in the Hill Country. That's where the Hill Country Park comes, um, which is outside of Austin in San Antonio, about an hour from each. In uh, 2019, my husband decided he wanted to change careers. And so he left um, his world and became involved in the wine world. He now works at a local vineyard. We have lots of wineries here in uh, Texas. And so he decided to change his career. And I got a job at our local regional, it's a rural hospital here in Fredericksburg and worked there all um, all through that lovely pandemic that we oh. had. And I was a practice manager. And then I ended up transferring to become our community relations and outreach liaison. And then I proceeded to lose my job this past spring. So when I found out I was going to lose my job, I was trying to scramble and figure out I'm 55 years old and not really planning on starting a new career. I had thought about launching a small business, a concierge business to help encourage uh, folks when they come to the Hill Country to, you know, make reservations for not only the wineries, but restaurants and we have museums and things like that. So I had already started that and decided to pursue that a little bit. Uh, And then I went to a conference and realized I was putting out too big of a net. I was going to be doing the concierge. I was going to be Um, event planning. I was going to be doing cooking classes and decided to narrow my niche. And so I have narrowed my niche way down and am focusing primarily on teaching people how to cook. I do teach cooking classes locally. I'm getting ready to launch my subscription service, which will be a monthly release of a basically a party in a box. It's called Everyday Fate, uh, which fate in French means celebration. And um, that uh, will be launched hopefully by the beginning of the year. I'm hoping actually to have things kind of wrapped up so we could sell it, give it as Christmas gifts. And I also do table stylings. And I recently just had a feature in the Christmas issue of Entertain and Celebrate magazine where I got to show how I would entertain folks if they came to stay at my house for Christmas. Congratulations. I saw that and it is beautiful. You did such a good job. Oh, thank you. 
So I decided to uh, not only make lemonade out of the lemons that life handed me, I'm I'm making some gin and tonics and some uh, margaritas and any, <laughs> any other cocktail <laughs> I can think of. Because, you know, you don't think of starting to be an entrepreneur um, at this age. And even though I had had a catering business like probably for 30 years um, that I would do on the side, like either when my kids were little or when I was working full time, I would do some stuff on the side. I did do it full time a couple of times in my life when the opportunity arose, but I had given up my catering, but I was really missing that connection. And my goal is always to try to find ways to connect people. Um, I think that hospitality uh, in your home is is a lot about making connections with people and and creating opportunities for fellowship because you know human connection is very important. And my husband and I both realized that I was gratefully missing that point. So when I kind of niched down and found out what I was going to do, like the light bulb came on and it was like, oh, well, I've got all of this I can share. So here I am, not too long after starting it and getting to do a lot of fun stuff with some fun people. That is perfect. I had no idea that um, there were a lot of wineries in Texas. <laughs> oh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> I have no, no clue. Um, yes, it's actually, and I might misquote this, so nobody come at me, but there's, you know, pretty much five large wine areas in the country. You know, California probably is the first thing that comes to mind. And then you have like the Finger Lakes and you also have you know, the the Northwest with all of their lovely Pinot Noirs and things in, in Texas. And I think we're like fifth in the country as far as amount made, but we're second in the country as far as tourism. So wow. we, we don't like to say that we're, we're Napa with barbecue, but you know, we're, we're <laughs> a little kinder and gentler. Like it's not, we take wine seriously, but we're trying to make it approachable. And I'm not in the winemaking world, but I have lots of friends that, that make wine. And it's just, it's incredible. We have between Fredericksburg and Johnson City, which is the next larger town. In between there is a, it's probably mm, maybe 25 miles and we probably have almost 100 wineries between those two points. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Not all on one highway, but branching off of it and and there's a lot more to come and and there's a lot of people coming from other winemaking areas to either open up tasting rooms here and and share their wine from California, Oregon and things, or leaving California to come here because it's just, it's a cheaper way to live. Oh, goodness. I I guess, I guess it is much cheaper there probably. Yeah. So if you like wine, Christy, come, come visit. (laughs) Okay. I really don't. I I mean, I like to drink it occasionally. I don't know much about it. I just know if I like it or I don't. (laughs) So you can teach me. (laughs) That sounds like a total plan. Um, you know, I have never been to the hill country. How would you describe it? I don't think of hills when I think of Texas. So, uh, Well, you know, most people don't. So when we lived in New England, we were kind of tired of winter. And so we originally were looking to where my husband, he worked for a large naval contractor. And we were looking where they had offices in the South, we wanted to be where it was warmer. And we ruled out the East Coast because it's very humid on the East Coast and and lots of people on the East Coast. We were kind of done with East Coast life. So we narrowed it down to Scottsdale, Arizona and San Antonio, Texas. And my aunt and uncle had a winter home in Arizona. So we went to go visit them for a couple of days and see what we thought of Arizona. And then we came to, to Texas. And 
the year that Fredericksburg won best small town in the South, I think it was in USA Today. And that was probably 2016, 2017. The town that my husband and I lived in, in Massachusetts is Lenox and it's in the Berkshires, which is in the way Western part of the state. That town won best small town, New England. <laughs> so when I saw Fredericksburg, my mom's family is from Virginia. And so immediately I thought Fredericksburg, Virginia. And then I was like, no, it's Texas. And then I saw it's, it had the wine part in there. And I was like, hello. And then it's also was settled by um, the Germans 175 years ago. And my maiden name is Frankenhoff. I, I am part German. And so that was kind of interesting. And it talked about how the German heritage here has really affected the architecture and the culture here. And I was just very interested in that. So when we were in San Antonio, we would never have lived in the city. We're just not city people. My husband's like, well, okay, so San Antonio is cool, but let's go explore. And I said, you know, that Fredericksburg town's not far from here. (laughs) So we drove the hour up I-10 and found Fredericksburg and immediately fell in love. So it's kind of, it is hilly believe it or not, I think we're at like 1900 feet above sea level. And it's usually five to eight degrees cooler here than it is in San Antonio or in Austin, because we are elevated, but it's not mountains like, you know, the Rocky Mountains. Right. They're definitely hills, but there's lots of like live, big, huge live oak trees and um, there's cactus and all the things that go with that, like, you know, rattlesnakes and scorpions. But the weather here is... Yeah, yikes is right. The weather here is perfect for us. It's really, you know, hot summers, but it's not super humid. Believe it or not, it's it's less humid than it is in New England when it gets hot. And the the winters are are pretty mild. So it's it's a beautiful area. Downtown Fredericksburg has a feeling that no other place I've ever been to has. It's just a, a spirit. And the the people here are just the best, the best. So I highly encourage people to visit the Hill Country. There's a lot of other little towns here to visit. There's Bernie and Dripping Springs. and But of course, I'm going to say Fredericksburg's my favorite. Well, you've got me sold. I want to come visit. That yes, sounds, come on down. <laughs> sounds beautiful and fun. Especially if I got to have you as my tour guide. Oh, yeah. I take you all around. Okay. I took Spanish in high school. I, not okay. French. So. Will you share with us what Bon Vivant actually means and why you chose that as part of your business name? Absolutely. I know nothing about French. Um, <laughs> I am a, I would say I'm a Francophile as far as I love all things French, but I've never been there. The reason I chose Bon Vivant, so a Bon Vivant is some a lover of, of all things like food, wine, travel, a lover of life. That's what a Bon Vivant means. So I am a big Julia Child fan. I was on the TV show, The Chew, back in 2012. And I won the Julia Child contest on celebrating what would have been her 100th birthday. Oh, um, wow. That's, I, that's so exciting. I, yes, I am fascinated with Julia Child. I, she inspires me because she did not really flower into who she was until she was older. And by older, I mean like, you know, she was in her 40s when she really fell in love with with her husband and launched her career. And she, you know, she fought for what she thought was right. And I just, I just really am inspired by her and her relationship with her husband. So I try to give a little wink or nod to Julia and things that I do like wear pearls. Like a lot of my photos have me in, in pearls. 
and then using words like bon vivant. And then my subscription program is will be everyday fate, what's spelled F-E-T-E. And that's a French word that means celebration. So my using of French words is my nod to my inspiration, who is Julia Child. I love it. I had no idea about the pearls either. That that was oh, why yeah. you wore them. Now you're going to watch all my pictures and see if I have my pearls on, which I I hope I didn't leave those in my suitcase. <laughs> oh, I hope not. No, I think they're in my backpack. <laughs> oh, I hope so. So that was a pretty big move. Have you had any adjustments that you didn't expect moving to Texas? Um, not ones that I didn't expect, but I would say that making friends and connections it can be challenging when you are a certain age. So I moved, you know, when I was a teenager, I went to basically three different high schools and I had no problem making friends and making connections because that's just who I am. I get that from my dad. We we joked that my dad could, you know, sell ice to an Eskimo and and they'd give him a call back and ask for more. Um, (sighs) But he, you know, so making connections is not a problem for me, but making those intimate connections that you have with friends versus acquaintances can be challenging. So I would say when I first moved here, my husband is still working at the same winery, but he was working weekends. So we did not have time off together. So I did a lot of exploring by myself. Like I drove to San Antonio downtown, drove the streets to the point where I would go down almost every weekend and shut my GPS up and try to find my way around the city. Um, so that was kind of how oh I introduced myself. Oh, I was determined to feel comfortable and where I lived. And then I did the same thing with Austin. And Scott worked weekends for the first in basically two years that we lived here. And when we had the the lockdown, at least he was considered an essential agriculture worker because he worked at a winery. So he did continue to work. He just wasn't pouring wine anymore. He he actually helped build a greenhouse, but we got to spend more time together, but still not making friends. So once we moved into our permanent home and uh, moved into a neighborhood, I re- that's when I realized, and I knew it, but like it really came to fruition again in my mind that I needed to be the one to open my door and invite people in. Like people aren't going to just come knocking on your door. They might say, hey, or stop by and introduce themselves, but you need to make an effort too. So that's, I opened my door and invited people in and and I have made some great, great connections here in my neighborhood. And I now feel after three years really settled here and feel like I've I've been a Texan my whole life. Oh, I love that. I'm so happy that you didn't wait. For the invite and that you just invited everyone else in. That is that is a perfect example of hospitality. Do you mind exactly. if I ask you what um, what was like the first thing you did as far as inviting people over in your neighborhood? Well, sure. The first invite I put on our, there's a Facebook page for our neighborhood that I put it on there. And it happened to be the night of a little bit of an ice storm. And, you know, being a Midwestern girl that lived in New England most of her life, snow and ice don't bother me, but I didn't realize how much it would bother these Texans. So <laughs> a lot of people didn't show up. Um, needless to say, that was uh, what we call either snowmageddon or snowvid of 2021. And we did not have power for 12 days. Oh my goodness. It, yeah. Oh my goodness is right. And in that time, we would, most of the people that lived here 
left, like they went to hotels or whatever. And because our, our home was like 18 months old, we bought a, a newer home, but because we hadn't lived here very long, my husband was determined we were not leaving. And um, again, I'm a Midwestern girl. I, I come from pioneer stock. I can do this. And he kept the house at like 50 degrees, or I should say the living room by burning wood. And we were running out of wood. And I put out, there was a kind of a text message for the people that were still in the neighborhood. So we could kind of check on each other. And when I say neighborhood, like our, our acreage is three to 10 acres a piece. So we're not on top of each other. So you can't really see what everybody else is doing. And I kind of sent an SOS out. Like, I don't know what to do. Uh, we're almost out of wood and we have no heat. We don't know when we're getting our power back. And I had a couple of neighbors, um, Joe and Jay went around all the, all my other neighbors were like, yeah, go pick up wood at my house. And they came over with, with wood filled in the back of their UTV and filled our little fire ring with wood. And I stood there, I'm going to cry now. (laughs) So there and cried like these people did not know us and, um, kept us warm, kept us going. And on day 12, when that power came back on, I just was so thankful that I decided I need to thank these people because people we did not know kept us warm. And so I sent out an invitation to those people who would all offer wood and um, asked them to come over and, and for a thank you. And I made, uh, I had a cocktail party and opened my doors and it hasn't been the same since. We just are there for each other. We support each other and we love each other as dear friends. And we've gone on trips together and it's just been great because I took the chance of opening my door and asking these people in. You did, and you were rewarded in a big, big way. That's that is a heartwarming story that they did that for you when you were just a complete stranger. Absolutely. See, there's good people out there, Christy. You just got to find them. Got to ignore the BS and find the good people. <laughs> you were right. You have to do that everywhere. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, this this first series that we're doing on the Happy Hostess podcast is all about Thanksgiving. So I want to know, what was your Thanksgiving like growing up? Is there anything in particular that really brings back memories from your childhood? Yeah. Um, wow. This this episode is getting me all teary, Christy. Oh. Um, in a good way. In a good way. So my dad it was in food service and he had his own business for many, many years. And he'd been in food service most of my life. I believe he started in that when I was an, an infant. Um and, but he didn't cook. My mom did most of the cooking. And uh, we always spent Thanksgiving with my dad's family. So um, his sister and brother and all of my cousins would go to my grandmother's or we would rotate houses or or whatever. And that's that was Thanksgiving to me. But my dad made his stuffing. And um, uh, my kids call it Papa stuffing. And it's very simple. It is just, you know, sauteed onions and celery with tons of mushrooms in there. And then you just wet the, you toast the bread and you just wet this bread with chicken stock or turkey stock and, and bell seasoning and, and bake it. And it's not complicated, but it's Papa stuffing. And it was the one thing my dad would make every year. And it's funny because my, one of my sons is coming for Thanksgiving from uh, Connecticut to, to Texas. And I, and putting together my menu like I'm supposed to. And I texted my son. I'm like, is there any requests? And he's like, as long as I have Papa stuffing, it's Thanksgiving. So um, I don't know if my dad has any idea the impact of his stuffing, but my kids and all of my nephews 
love it because then as we grew up and we moved to New England and then I started hosting Thanksgiving and my parents moved back to Virginia um, when my daughter was born. So many, many moons ago. And I, so I started hosting and that was the one thing I had to do. And then last year, my daughter who's married and lives on her own in South Dakota, she hosted and she made the stuffing. So it's the one consistent thing I've had for every Thanksgiving that I can think of. That is so special. Like that's what brings back memories for you. And obviously it also brings back memory for, for your kids. Yes. And you know, my mom has always said, and, and she would say it numerous times and it's, it's my motto, you know, you're making memories because memories can't go away. You might lose your luggage, <laughs> you might lose photos, but you can't lose your memories. Um, they're there, they're in your heart. And I love creating opportunities for memories. And so many of my memories as a child or as my, with my children, when they were younger, revolve around the table and revolve around meals and, and scents. And, you know, you can, I can smell something and, and flash back to, you know, being six or seven years old, you know, and, and remembering a scent. So I think that so many of our food memories our holiday memories, because unfortunately that's when you remember sitting down around the table. And I think we need to to try to sit around the table a little bit more. You're right. Those smells can be so powerful to bring back memories for sure. Absolutely. Good ones. Good ones for sure. Yes. Now, do you have any new Thanksgiving traditions that you've started on your own with your family? Well, since we, um, you know, my kids are are grown and, you know, my brother and his wife live in uh, Northern Vermont and my sister and her husband live in Virginia near my folks. There's, you know, there's not family nearby. Um, we've started to invite friends for, for Thanksgiving dinner that might not have family around because it's one year we went out for Thanksgiving and I was just disappointed. You know, it's just not the same. Right. And you don't have those leftovers at 10 o'clock at night to go, you know, eat some cold stuffing or some cream spinach. Um, and then last year, all of my kids were going to spend Thanksgiving with my daughter. And so I knew nobody was coming here. And so we decided, let's go visit Santa Fe. You know, let's go, let's go try to get, go somewhere else and, and check that place out. And we had a lovely time. Santa Fe is lovely, but Thanksgiving, it just wasn't the same. And so we said, no, we're never doing that again. I will host Thanksgiving, even if there's no family coming and just invite friends to come. So um, I would say that that is our new tradition is making sure that if, if we have any friends that don't have plans, that, that we put them all together and we'll be family for the day. That's so important because so many people are separated from their families now with everyone moving. It's so easy to move across the country now. That Yeah. Often it's difficult to get together for Thanksgiving. Absolutely. It's, and I think you don't have to be blood related to call someone family. And I, I think that our extended family are our friends. And so we have a, a couple of them coming along with my uh, two of my sons will be here. And so, um, and they've gotten to know this couple that's coming. So it'll, it'll be a nice, it'll be a nice day. Hey, it will. Well, let's talk about the star of Thanksgiving, the turkey. Gobble, gobble. (laughs) Let's just start at like the very beginning. Um, 
we need to purchase the turkey. So, Jerry Lynn, okay. where do you buy your turkeys? So, I am a big believer in trying to get either a local turkey or an organic turkey, ordering it from a butcher. Um, here in the town I live in, um, we have uh, called Natural Grocers, I think is the name of the chain, and they have a brand of organic turkeys. And so, that's where I ordered my turkey from. I like to order a fresh turkey so then I don't have to worry about that possibility that it's not thawed all the way because that's a big bird to thaw, you know. And when my kids were younger, I would have, you know, my sister and my brother and all their kids and everybody at the house, there were close to, you know, 18 to 20 people. So I had to get a big bird and having to thaw that bird, I didn't want to be bothered with. So I like a fresh turkey and I try to go organic. I don't, I'm not here to slam butterball. If you like a butterball turkey, God bless. But they inject the turkey with things and I like to inject it with my own flavors. Yes, it is hard to find a turkey in the grocery store that does not have a saline solution already. (laughs) Very difficult. Exactly. Okay, now when I'm in the grocery store, I often see a lot of confused looks on people's faces when they are trying to figure out what size turkey they need. Uh, you know, I can't blame them. I take my calculator out every year because it doesn't sound right, Christy. You know, usually for a protein, like let's say you're making a beef tenderloin or something, you can picture a half to three quarters of a pound per person. But for a turkey, because of the carcass, you have to factor that in. So you need about one and a half pounds per person. That's why when you have, you know, um, 10 people, you need, you don't need a a five pound bird. Does that make sense? Because that carcass weighs a lot. So you have to factor that in. So about a pound and a half. So I recommend before people order their bird to do that math. And I like to add a couple people in there just because I really like to have extra meat for a couple of days. And the way I slice the turkey makes it not dry out. So uh, that turkey in a couple of days is actually still pretty flavorful. And if I'm in the mood and don't have a ton going on, I usually like to put up my Christmas tree the weekend after Thanksgiving if possible. And so I like to make a turkey soup with the carcass and do all that jazz. Right. And so then I like to take some of that meat and put it in the in the turkey soup and then have that going while I'm I'm decorating the Christmas tree. Well, that should really help people um, when they are trying to figure that out. And I love that you always add a few people because there are really a lot of things to do with the leftovers that are really quite tasty. And I do I always do the same thing. I always make a soup. I like a white chicken, not white, white turkey chili is what I usually make. Yeah. And you can use that turkey and you can make a pot pie. You can do a lot of things, but once the meat has been cooked, you can freeze it again. So if you end up having, you know, if somebody, a whole family gets sick and they can't come, you know, cook that turkey and then put it in a freezer bag and save it for later. Very smart. And so convenient. So Mm -hmm. convenient when, and it's so busy during that time right after Thanksgiving, that it's nice to have something at least semi-prepared. <laughs> to Yes, absolutely. Now, there are so many ways to cook a turkey these days. Um, tell me about some ways, and but specifically tell me what's your favorite way. Okay, so I might get a little flack here, but I am anti-brine, um, wet brine. Okay. One, uh, there's a couple reasons. One, 
is to me, it might make the, I'm doing air quotes here, might make your turkey moist, but it's actually not moist as meat. There's just extra fluid in there. So to me, it changes the texture of the turkey. Okay. Um, so I like to dry brine it. Um, so when I get the turkey, I take it out a couple of days before I'm going to, um, before Thanksgiving. So like, you know, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, I take and I salt the turkey inside and out and dry brining the, the salt has time to get under the skin and get into the meat. I use kosher salt. I only use diamond crystal salt. If you go onto my, I believe it's on my Instagram, but there's an, a couple of articles that have come out recently that I shared about the difference. And I t- talk about it all the time, the difference between diamond crystal and other kosher salts. Diamond crystal is not as salty as other salts. So it has a less chemically flavor than other salts. So I highly recommend diamond crystal salt, but you just put a ton of salt on that turkey. And don't worry, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, I have high blood pressure and doctors say to stay away from salt, but all that salt on your turkey, you're not going to eat all that salt. You know what I mean? You're going to have a little bit of it. So salt it because it will make a huge difference. And then it also kind of dries out the skin, which makes it nice and crisp. And who doesn't love good, crispy turkey skin? Oh yes. That's my absolute favorite part. Yes. And so you don't, clean the turkey. Okay. That's a big, big no, no. People think that they're washing when you, with a turkey or a chicken, like let's wash the bacteria off. You can't wash bacteria off with water. Um, <laughs> you need soap. <laughs> and that's not how it works. So when you put water on a, a bird that, you know, you're, you're splashing that water all over the place, all those little germs are going everywhere. So just pat it dry with a paper towel. You do not need to rinse a turkey. You do not need to wash a turkey. Just take it out of the packaging and dry it put it um, on a, like a, a rack on a cookie sheet. Um, so some water can drip down because the moisture will be pulled out from the salt and then salt that baby up and stick it in the fridge. Okay. How long do you do that? So I usually do it on Tuesday for Thanksgiving. So you can do it two days ahead. If you don't do it till the day before, that's fine, but make sure you do it at least one day ahead to get that skin and the meat all primed up. And then, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to ask, can you do can you do this dry brine with any method of cooking? Like, is it make a difference if you're going to fry the turkey or um, smoke the you turkey? Know what? I, my brother is a champion at turkey frying. I have never personally fried a turkey because I am a klutz. And with my luck, I would be the one <laughs> that would drop that turkey in and be on a TikTok video um, for the rest of my life. So I do not fry turkeys, but yes, I would assume that it's the same as far as the brine goes, because you're not adding wetness. You're not adding moisture to it. Right. Brine, I don't think you should brine a turkey in liquid before frying it. I think that that extra moisture can cause some of those flame ups, but I'm not a pro with that um, by any stretch. Anything we can do to reduce flames with yes. frying turkeys. <laughs> Don't do it in your garage, people. If it is so cold, you need to be in your garage. Find another way to cook your turkey. <laughs> yes. My brother-in-law had um, caught the whole neighborhood's attention when Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. 
thing. 911, can I help you? Not, no, that's just not how I like to celebrate. <laughs> no, it makes me very nervous. My husband fries all the time and um, it, it's delicious and the skin is amazing. Oh, yes. Um, oh, and like I said, my brother's a champ at it. He He does a great job at it. And but that's up to Craig to do, not not me, right? And that uh, question I was going to ask you, and that I think that is definitely, um, I was going to ask you, like, what's it for a new hostess, some or someone that's never cooked a turkey before? Um, what's the best method that you would recommend? Obviously, not frying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you have someone in your family that can fry it, they can do it for you. But I really like, so Michael Simon, the chef, Michael Simon, who I got to meet when I was on the chew, I cooked with him. He is a, he's an anti-briner like me. And he has a method that I highly recommend. And I will be sharing that on my um, Instagram. So people can go check it out if they don't remember. But if you Google Michael Simon, Thanksgiving turkey, I believe it would come up. But what he does is he does the, the brining, like I suggest, with the salt, the dry brine. And then he makes a mixture of butter and stock. And in that stock, we put, there's fennel and onion. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. There's all these things in the stock. And then you take cheesecloth and you put the cheesecloth and let the cheesecloth absorb all of that buttery goodness. Okay. Mm. Then you stuff in the bird. Do not stuff stuffing in your chick in your Turkey, please. I beg you. It is a breeding ground for bacteria. Put it on the side. People put it on the side, stuff your bird with lemons and garlic, and you can put fennel in there if you want any kind of herbs and put that on the inside. So those scents and things go into your Turkey and then you cover the turkey with the buttered cheesecloth. Mm-hmm. And that helps you not have to brine. It keeps the moisture in the turkey. And it is the best, best turkey. I have done it that way. Then the other suggestion I have, and my daughter did this last year when she hosted her first Thanksgiving, um, and she said it really was helpful, is, and I actually found this out by accident. Uh, when my former husband and I moved to Longmeadow from, um, I forget where we were living beforehand, but anyways, we moved into this house in Longmeadow. We had a double oven. So automatically I'm like, oh, double oven, like Thanksgiving is going to be easy. I bought a huge turkey because we would have 20 people over. And the day before I went to you know salt my turkey and dry brine it and looking at the turkey and looking at the oven, I'm like, this isn't going to fit in my oven. Mm. So I put the turkey in the oven, you know, without it being on and it wouldn't fit in the oven. So I went to Target and bought a Nesco roaster. Have you seen those big Nesco roasters? I have. Okay. I went and bought a roaster and then, you know, put it on top of my uh, countertop or when we moved to another town, I actually ended up putting it on my washing machine because it was in my kitchen that it had like bifold doors so I could shut it. Right. Um, if you can afford, if they're they're really actually inexpensive. They're not as expensive as even a crock pot. But if you can afford to get one or have the space for one, I highly recommend that because if you have the Nesco roaster, one, it makes it very very juicy because it's kind of like a steam. There's like some steam going on in there because it's a smaller, you know, than an oven. But also, two, it frees up your oven to cook your sides. That is a great idea. Yeah. So then the other way for to take away some of the scariness of hosting is, you know, there's that Norman Rockwell picture of you cutting the turkey at the table. Don't cut your turkey at the table, people. 
people are watching you. They're going to be, you know, everyone has an opinion. They're going to be telling you you're doing it wrong. Take your turkey out, let it rest, get all your other sides ready. I highly recommend having all of your dishes out for your serving two days before and take sticky notes and put them in all of your dishes, you know, take mashed potatoes, gravy, even if the gravy boat looks like it's a gravy boat, put gravy on it. And then when, you know, your mother-in-law is standing there telling you you're doing something wrong, you say, can you put the potatoes in the potato bowl? And you don't have to explain what the potato bowl is because it's marked. And that's how people can help you and kind of stay out of your way and you can be organized. And then when you cut your turkey in the kitchen, when people aren't watching you, you, I'm going to see if I can figure out how to explain this without you seeing me do it. You cut down the breastbone and take the knife and cut under. So you're going to take off a big slab, just the breast, like take the whole breast off. People tend to cut the breast, you know, in slices, but if you take the whole breast off and cut it, so it looks like a football and you cut from one end to the other, everybody gets skin and you're cutting it with the grain. And so versus against the grain, so it stays more tender and you get more of a chunk of turkey versus a thin slice. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. I can see it completely in my mind. Awesome. And then you can cut your legs and everything. Usually I wouldn't serve the legs unless somebody asked. I might cut off some thigh and then my kids would like, you know, fight over the the, the turkey leg later, but it depends. Most of my family likes white meat. So that's what I would do. So those are my suggestions for hosting. Also, if you don't have room, like if you're in an apartment or um, you just don't have room for the Nesco roaster or you don't have the spare cash to, to buy one, if you cook your sides, first of all, plan your menu so you're not putting everything in the oven. Like you could do Brussels sprouts on the stovetop. Or make like a a winter slaw. Like I have a really good winter slaw recipe on my website. So everything doesn't have to be in the oven. But if you put it in the oven a couple hours, like before you even put your turkey in, you can take it out and you can store your cooked things to keep them warm in a cooler. So coolers will maintain temps. That's a, a catering trick for hours. So you could cook your macaroni and cheese and everything and just put it in a cooler and then cook your turkey. I'm so glad you said that. I actually, I'm doing an episode on how to keep everything warm and I included the cooler, but with the caveat of, I've never done this before. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trusting what other people have said. So I'm going to, I was going to try it out. Um, But that's so funny because I had never heard about that until a few days ago. Mm Mm-hmm. And you actually can get on Amazon. When I was when I was catering, I did a wedding and cooked everything, most everything in advance, and stuck it in these totes. And you can you can Google on Amazon or search on Amazon for catering cooler, and they're they're made of like really thick foam, and they can even fold down. They look kind of like Legos almost. And you know, I could slide it under my bed or something to store it till you need it again. So they're good because they hold. They're bigger than a cooler cooler. And so they have more space. You could put like actual casserole dishes. You could put a couple. And then on top of that, you could put like another sheet pan and put more casserole dishes on top. So that's just a hint. Or if you do your turkey early enough, you know, your turkey will stay hot for about an hour if you tent it. So if you have all your sides ready and they need 30 to 40 minutes to cook, just have them ready. You take that turkey out and throw all your sides in. So it just depends on, on, how many sides you're having and all of that type of thing or assign sides to everybody else. And you just do the turkey. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) 
but you can even do make ahead gravy. Just have all your stuff ready for your gravy and then add the turkey drippings when you warm it up to, to add that extra, you know, the last minute zing to your gravy. Oh, that's so, good advice. Yes. That's- the Barefoot Contessa has a great uh, recipe. You can Google uh, make ahead Thanksgiving gravy, I believe is what she calls it. And it gives you the step-by-step instructions. So you're not in there whisking. You can get almost everything set and then just add those drippings when you warm it up. Oh, that's brilliant. I did not know that. I thought if you made it ahead of time, you were just sacrificing that <laughs> real real flavor. No, not at all. You can add those drippings right at the end. And if you do this method that I'm talking about with the lemons and the fennel and everything, you're I get more compliments on my great my turkey gravy. And also, you know, making turkey stock, if you can even you could do that this weekend. You could go buy turkey wings, roast them, make sure you don't put the raw, you really want to get that roasted flavor roast them and then make your stock. And then you can stick your stock in the freezer or, you know, they now sell turkey stock and I would not wait until the week before Thanksgiving to get it. I'd I'd stock up on that stock. Stock up on the stock. That is the truth because it it is hard to find some, obviously right before Thanksgiving, but it's hard to, we don't, our stores, it's not something they carry all the time. And then once they bring it at Thanksgiving, you know, it's cleared out, especially right now. Everything's cleared out anyway. Well, and I don't know if everyone has Trader Joe's around them. I know they're they're not everywhere, but Trader Joe's sells turkey stock like pretty early. And I, I have seen that out already. So you could grab some at Trader Joe's. Oh, that's, I didn't know that. I had no idea mm-hmm. that they carried it. They carry so many good things. Oh, I know. I know. Especially seasonal things. I love mm-hmm. that. They're all about the seasonal things. Okay, so... For those that do, like who might be in a location where they really need to purchase a frozen turkey, mm-hmm. um, how much time do they need to allow to so, thaw? I I would go with for every five pounds a day. Okay. So like, you know, uh, a 16, 17 pound turkey, I would, I would take that out probably let's see Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I'd probably take that out of the freezer on Saturday, let that thaw and then dry brine it on Wednesday. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with frozen turkeys. That's just my hang up, but I do prefer a regular turkey over a butterball, even though I know that they um they are juicy, but it's not it's because there's saline in it. Sure. It's it's just I feel like it's a lot more convenient and a less a lot of less things to worry about if you can get them fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't plan ahead sometimes. <laughs> and that's the thing with Thanksgiving is I, I highly, highly suggest to everybody, not just Thanksgiving, but any event that you're having at your house, please do not make a new recipe on that day. Now I'm not saying if you want to try something new for this Thanksgiving, go for it, but start, take it, take it this week, <laughs> make right. it once, have your family try it, see what they think. If you need to tweak it, try it one more time, but you should never make a new recipe for a holiday or any entertaining that you're doing, because if it messes up, you feel bad. They have no idea what you're trying to do. Okay. So, you know, as Julia Chai would say, no one knows, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's okay that things don't turn out the way that they plan, but you know, and then you get upset and then your guests can feel that. So just go with either the traditional things you're comfortable with, or if you just want to make the turkey and ask everyone to bring a side, do that. You know, do what, what you're comfortable with. Do not go outside of your comfort zone until you're more comfortable being a host. 
That is the best advice ever. Even for very, I, I feel like unless you are a chef, I always think do not experiment on your guests. No, and I have, I mean, I have been cooking forever and I will say to my friends, if they come over, like I'm testing this recipe out on you because you're good friends and you'll be, you know, you'll give me feedback. But if it was for a holiday, no, no, don't. I have recipes that I've been making for Thanksgiving for, let's see, I'm 55 and I think I cooked my first Thanksgiving at like 25. So for 30 years, I've been making some of the same recipes. Like there's one in Silver Palette Cookbook that is a maple mustard Brussels sprouts. And I make the same spinach au gratin. I make the same mashed potatoes. I do the same thing every Thanksgiving. And I might add one new side or add, usually dessert is where I'll play because dessert you make beforehand. Right. So dessert is kind of where I'll play. And my daughter, uh, God love her. She is, she loves to bake. She did not get that from me. I am a cook. I do not like to bake. Baking is science (laughs) and I don't like science. So I just shouldn't say I don't like science. I don't like having to think like a scientist, like being exact is just not, it's just not good for me. So, uh, but she would be the one to make all of the uh, desserts when she got to be like, like 12 or 13, she was the one making Thanksgiving dessert. That is nice to be able to pass that on to someone else, especially somebody who likes to do it. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Now, one last question about the turkey. Mm -hmm. What about presentation? Like, how do we get that Norman Rockwell look as far as when we're serving the turkey? Is there anything that um, to make it look more attractive? You're talking about like the brown of the skin or whatever? Just just when you're serving it, um, when you're actually like after you've you've already carved it and... Sure. So if you carve it, if you follow the recipe that I'm talking about with the 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 cheesecake cloth or cheesecake cloth, I'm talking desserts, cheesecloth, <laughs> then it will really make a golden colored skin. And if you carve it the way I'm talking about, like cutting the breast off like a football and cutting it, like each piece should have a piece of skin on it. Right. But if you lay, like if you cut it on the cutting board and then take your knife and slide it under all of the cut pieces and then lift and put on your platter and kind of push it down to fan it out that's how you get that look. So if you look on, you know, videos on how to like cut an avocado and do that, it's kind of the same philosophy is is you cut it straight and then you put it on your platter and just kind of push it and it'll lay down like kind of like dominoes. As far as the legs, like you can cut the leg and the thigh and separate it. And I would put that like on the other side of the platter. So dark meat on one side, breast meat on the other side. And then usually for like garnishing platters of any type, you should use whatever is in the dish to garnish. So I really love sage as a Thanksgiving flavor and thyme. So I might take some fresh sage and thyme and like a tie, like a little kitchen twine around it and put one little bunch on each end of the platter to kind of, so people know when they see that, they're like, oh, there's, there's sage and thyme in this. Or you could take the, if you use the fennel, like fennel is a big flavor profile that I love this time of year. The the green fronds that kind of look like dill, you can even cut those off because you don't really cook with those and save those and then use those for garnish. Because if you use the fennel in that butter stock part that you soak your cheesecloth in, then they're like, oh, there's, there's fennel in this. So 
they might not realize consciously realize that when they see that vegetable or that herb that the that's associated with the meat, but that's what it does is it's like, oh, this this, this makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Just a little clue. And also it makes it look pretty. So yes, yes. And you know, that carving trick is, is essential. And that a lot of people think you make dry Turkey and it's not, it's because you cut it wrong. That is good news. (laughs) That is really good news. (laughs) And you know what? Gravy covers up a multitude of sins. (laughs) It sure does. You can always put a little Turkey stock on there if you need to make sure it's just warm. (laughs) That's a good idea. Yes. That is helpful. Okay, so I have a few speed round questions for you. Are you ready to get started? Yes, ma'am. Okay, favorite Thanksgiving side dish? Mm, My dad's stuffing, Papa's stuffing. Absolutely. Least favorite side dish? Mm, I don't really have a least favorite. I would say canned cranberry sauce. I always used to have it because my former husband insisted on it. I'm not a fan of that. I make homemade cranberry sauce. It's super easy and I prefer that. Agreed here for sure. (laughs) Um, Your all-time favorite cookbook? All-time favorite cookbook? Holy cow. I would say the Silver Palette cookbook, the original one. And reason being is I've talked about this on another podcast, I believe, where I would say that, you know, growing up in the Midwest and, and not not, I wouldn't say sheltered food wise, but you know, it was in the seventies and it's a lot, a different scene out there now where you can get things. And then I I did go to college in Rhode Island and and I tried, you know, like Chinese food for the first time when I was in college, Uh, like real Chinese food, not like the the stuff that comes in a can. Right. So uh, silver palette, the, those, that cookbook, really opened my eyes to see like, oh my gosh, olive tapenade. Like I used to just eat black olives at my grandma's house on my fingers, like fingernails with my sister and my cousins. And you can take black olives and mix them with anchovies and capers. Like what's a caper? And it just really opened my eyes. And I really experimented. My former husband was a willing participant. And so I started cooking through that cookbook. And I would say that that is what opened my eyes to food outside of my family culture foods. Very long answer for your short question. Oh no. I love this question because I love cookbooks. So I get I can add another one to my list that that I want. I've seen it, I've seen the cover of it before, but oh I yeah. It, it's a it. good one, Christy. It's a good one. Okay, your celebrity crush when you were a teenager. Oh, when I was a teenager. Or now you get to pick. Um, no, I'll go when I was a teenager. I would say Sean Cassidy and the do Ron Ron. I <laughs> was in love with Sean Cassidy. All right. <sighs> and then the Partridge family. I loved his brother on the Partridge family. I'm sure you are not the only one. That is sure. <laughs> that showed my age a little bit, huh? Yeah, it's it's fun though, thinking back. <sighs> Your favorite Christmas movie. Um I love watching the Christmas story with my dad. I think it's because it takes place in Ohio. And so it might be a little reminiscent for my dad growing up in South Dakota, a little similar. I never met my grandfather. So maybe that gentleman reminds him of his father. I don't know why he gets so tickled watching it, but watching that movie with my dad is awesome. I would say a newer Christmas movie that I love is Elf. The the songs in it and the seeing it through the eyes of Elf 
as a child, like he's such a childlike person in that movie. I, I love that. But I also love The Holiday and some other movies as I've gotten older. And I think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And so my kids and I watch Die Hard. <laughs> That's awesome. It happens on Christmas, people. It's a Christmas movie. Then it's definitely a Christmas movie. <laughs> And what are you secretly wishing for for Christmas? For more family time next year. I really hope to, to get my, my kids live on all different corners of the planet. And just to all be together is really hard. We get to maybe all be together once a year. And I love for them to all be here, but you know, everyone's got lives and things that are going on and, and that's hard to do. So to see all of my kids at the same time would be great. And to see my parents, I haven't been able to see my parents um, for a little while. And so I would love to see them and, and my siblings. So I'd really love some family time next year. Well, I certainly hope you get your Christmas wish for sure. This has been so much fun. And I think our listeners are going to be well-prepared for turkey season. Thanks to all your good advice. Where can people find you on um, social media? Sure. So I am the Hill Country Bon Vivant on Instagram. I am also on Facebook. I don't, uh, I usually share what I do on Instagram on Facebook. I'm not super active there, but a lot of my stuff is shared. So definitely find me on Instagram. I have a website. It's Hill Country Bon Vivant. That's B-O-N-V-I-V-A-N-T.com. And all of my recipes I share on there. and. If you, you know, make a recipe, please let me know. I'd love to, to get your feedback. And um, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'll be launching my subscription service. So if you're interested in checking that out, if you go onto my website, you can sign up for emails. I promise I will not spam you or send you more than, you know, one or two a week at the most. And then you'll be the first to know when my subscription service goes live. Well, thank you again for joining me and being my very first guest. I appreciate it so much. Oh, you're so welcome. And I'm honored, Christy. I, I wish you all the luck with this podcast. And it's been a lot of fun. You have a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving. You Love too. you, mean it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Happy Hostess Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your podcast app. It would mean the world to me. If you need links for anything mentioned during this episode, head over to happyhostesscollective.com and you'll find them in the show notes. A new episode comes out every Tuesday and I can't wait for you to tune in next time. Until then, have a great week.